I invite you to turn over uh, in your bulletin to page 3. See our scripture reading for the morning, for the book of Numbers. Uh, we're studying through the book of Numbers here on Sunday mornings. And we started this section last week, Numbers 13 and 14. Uh, this episode that's, that's referred to again and again uh, throughout uh, the rest of scripture. It's, it's uh, one time called the Rebellion. All right, here are the Israelites. They're on the border of the Promised Land. They send the spies in to scout out the land. The report comes back. It's a good land, uh, a, a land of fruitfulness, but yet there are strong enemies, mighty nations, fortified cities. Uh, the people uh, rebel against the Lord uh, and, and turn against him, and this harsh judgment comes. The entire generation, that generation, dies in the wilderness and last week we wrestled with some of the, the warnings of the rest of Scripture to take this episode to heart, uh, to be warned against the, uh, the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, we saw the call upon our lives to, uh, to turn from rebellion, where it might crop up in, in our lives, rebelling against rebellion, we were, we've been calling it. Uh, so we focused last week more on recognizing it in our lives and, and the need to run to Christ because it's that serious. Uh, here we're going to build on that foundation by looking again, uh, focusing especially in on, on these verses from chapter 14. So let's, let's read God's word together. We pick up the story right after the report of the spies uh, has come. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or that we had died in this wilderness. Uh, why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us, their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me, and how long will they not believe in me, in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. But Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear of it. For you brought up this people in your might from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land. Now they have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people. For you, O Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill this people as one man, then the nations who have heard your fame will say, it is because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land 
that he swore to give to them, that he has killed them in the wilderness. And now, please let the power of the Lord be great as you have promised, saying, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Let's pray for God's blessing. Lord, we do look to you. Apart from the work of the Spirit, we could never uh, hope to even understand your word, let alone have it do its good transforming work in our lives. Lord, so send your Spirit to use this, the sword of the Spirit, to, to do good in us, uh, to transform, to build up, to bless. Lord, we pray uh, for the glory of Jesus and in, in his name. Amen. So after studying this passage last week, did you notice any little pockets of rebellion in your life this week? Maybe, maybe it was even some of the some of the observations, some of the headings we used uh, last week. Remember, we we talked about uh, developing habits of rebellion. Did you notice any little patterns and themes that tend to grumble against the Lord here and it crops up there too? Uh, or maybe maybe you found yourself like the Israelites here, uh, living life as a as a functional atheist. As if God had just been deleted from the world. Did, did you catch yourself at any points? Uh, how about how about sounding ridiculous? Remember us talking about that? Uh, the irrationality of unbelief. You can start to notice you're not in a good place because you start saying ridiculous things like the Israelites here. Oh, let's just go back to Egypt. Did you catch yourself sounding a bit ridiculous? Rebellion. Yeah, even, even in us, there's it's there. Well, the more we look for it, sadly, the more... Uh, we'll see it. Hopefully, realizing the seriousness and ugliness of it, you, you then quickly run to Christ, which we, we really emphasize is our only hope, uh, is one who would be that perfect Israel for us, the one who would bear the curse, right? The curse of that, that people dying in the wilderness. Well, here is, here is a Jesus who dies bearing that curse for us. That's our only hope, uh, that he would take the punishment that we deserve so that uh, in him we are we are rescued, forgiven, made righteous in his sight. But here's the great thing about the work of Christ, uh, that we aren't just saved from the guilt of our sin, so that's a huge part of it, but that's not it. There's, it gets better, not just the, saved from the guilt of our sin, but also more and more saved from the power and the presence of sin in our lives. Uh, they're not just forgiven, but more and more rescued from sin's even presence in our lives. Now, that takes place over time for God's people, but that's his plan. Uh, does that sound good? That, that more and more the, the sin, the rebellion in your life gets, gets rooted out, and so you look less and less like a rebellious Israel and more and more like Jesus. That sounds good, doesn't it? So how does that happen? How does that, what does that look like? Uh, well, Scripture tells us that the only way that's ever going to happen is the work of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit that comes in and changes our hearts, uh, takes that new resurrection life of Christ and 
puts it within us, and the spirit that more and more uh, changes us from within so we bear uh, fruit because of his work. That's all inside. We don't see it. Uh, what we do see uh, is, is the effects of the spirit's work on the outside. Uh, we, we see things change in terms of changed actions and changed words. And, and, and this, I think, is where our, a second look at this passage is helpful. Because we do notice in this passage uh, a number of individuals whose words and actions look very different than the rest uh, of the congregation, the rest of, of Israel. We see Moses, we see Joshua, we see Caleb, and their words and actions look very, very different. How come? Is it, is it because they're inherently more spiritual than everybody else? Well, the rest of the Bible would force us to say, no, that can't be it. Uh, is, it is it because they're a, a little less fallen than, than the rest of Israel? No, that can't be it either. Uh, it's got to be because the Spirit is at work within them. Uh, giving them strength and helping them to bear fruit. Uh, so so what we, as we look at these very different reactions, what do we see? Well, we're seeing the outward evidence of the Spirit's work. God is at work within them. Uh, and this is exactly what God works within us, within his people. Uh, we have the same Spirit, uh, the Spirit of Christ uh, within us, and the call is to, well, fan into flame the work of the Spirit. Uh, and to, to knowing that God is at work within us, to then work out uh, our salvation with fear and trembling, uh, to see the Spirit's work, to be encouraged to, to fight and battle rebellion in our own, our own lives. Now, there's a very critical reason why this is part two and not part one. Uh, that part one, realizing the seriousness of sin, how you need to run to Jesus today and every day, that's got to be part one. That uh, You can only get to part two, uh, the Spirit's transforming work, if you have part one as the foundation. So, uh, so if you missed part one, I encourage you to go back. Maybe you can listen to it online or just take to heart the little summary we just gave. Uh, you can't try to do part two, which is look different, change your life, uh, apart from Jesus. It, it just doesn't work. Uh, and you'll miss what you desperately need, which is forgiveness and new life. Uh, so run to him today and every day, and, and then realize the work of Christ, uh, dealing with the guilt of your sin, is also going to continue to deal with the presence and power uh, of sin. Uh, knowing the Spirit's work, we fan into flame. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to look at uh, these individuals, Moses, Joshua, and Caleb, noticing, ah, we see the Spirit at work, so he's probably going to be doing similar works in us. What does that look like? Uh, we'll notice especially this common element among these individuals, and that is where their focus is. Where their focus is. Uh, we'll notice the, their focus on the presence of God and their focus on the glory of God, and that how that is evidence of the Spirit's work and makes a huge difference uh, in, in, their, in their walk with him. So our first point is fight fear with a focus on the presence of the Lord. Fight fear with a focus on the presence of the Lord. So here we're looking at the response of, of Joshua and Caleb. Uh, if you look at verse, uh, eight and, verses 8 and 9, right? they've, they've taken in the congregation's plan. You know, oh, oh, that's it. We're going to go back to Egypt. We're done. Uh, you know, we wish God would just kill us uh, in the wilderness. So here's how they respond. 
If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, uh, a land flowing with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of this of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. So you catch the, you catch the theme. Uh, they, they say it twice. Do not fear them. Do not fear them. Right, The people of the land. Uh, the, the very ones that Joshua and Caleb got to see, right? They were among the twelve who went and spied out, spied out the land. You might remember, as we emphasized uh, last week, Joshua and Caleb fully agreed with the other ten that there are indeed very mighty uh, enemies in the land. There are strong, fortified cities. So they're in no way denying that part of it. Uh, oh yeah, the, the enemies are real, and yes, they are strong. Um, so how come uh, Joshua and Caleb aren't consumed and ruled by fear like all of, like all the rest? How come they're not driven by their fear to, to rebel against God and his plan? Uh, right? It's not because they, they ignore the strength of the enemy. It's, it's in the midst of knowing the strength of the enemy that their eyes are fixed on someone stronger. Their eyes are fixed on someone stronger. On the one who's stronger, who delights in them, and who promises to be with them. Right? Their eyes are fixed on the Lord. And, and, his, and his presence with them. Remember Moses emphasizing, yeah, you're, you're, the, you're the God who's been present with us. Pillar of cloud and fire, that visual representation of it. And here Moses, or Joshua and Caleb repeating it to them. He's with us. If he's with us, we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be afraid of the nations. I, <clears throat> I came into church this past Monday. One of the first things I usually do on, on Monday mornings is kind of plan out the week. I get out my planner. I've been doing this recently with a physical paper planner, real pen. Uh, and, if you, and you know how that works. If you have one of those planners, you have, to, you have to get the obligatory inspirational quote at the top of the page. right? You, don't, you can't get a planner without it, apparently. Um, so here's the, here's the quote that greeted me on, on Monday morning. It was a question. What would you do if you were brave? What would you do if you were brave? Uh, or maybe even, maybe even better, how I heard a, a Christian counselor write this question uh, some months ago. Uh, what would you do if you weren't afraid? What would you do if you weren't afraid? Uh, convicting for me, maybe for you too. Uh, you ponder that for a few minutes and you start to realize uh, all the, the places where, where fear takes hold and grips and, and even, even rules. Where the, where the enemies out there look so big and so strong and how easy it is to, uh, to give in to fear and to be ruled by it and controlled by it, even to the point, like Israel here, of, of rebelling against God's commands and God's plan uh, because fear is that powerful. Um, well, speaking of God's commands, do you know what the most frequent command in Scripture is? The, the, the command in the Bible that's repeated more than any other command. You know what it is? It's, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. 
most repeated command in the Bible, some 300 times, 300 times, God says to his people, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Apparently he knows that we're going to struggle with this. Apparently it is us, and we need to hear it again. Uh, and we need to hear the frequent follow-up to the command. Because it's, it's very, very frequently uh, given with this addition. Do not be afraid, for I am with you, says the Lord. And of course that's, that's how Joshua and Caleb present it as well. Don't be afraid of them. The Lord is with us. The Lord is with us. See, that's, that's, what, that's what changes the equation. It's the presence of the Lord. And it changes it completely. I mean, there's a real sense in which it, it really doesn't matter how strong the enemies are. Right? If, if the Lord is with you? I mean, I mean, think about that for a minute. Okay, so they're facing these strong nations and strong cities. I, you know, we don't know exactly the numbers. Say the spies went in uh, and they noticed 30 fortified cities, fortress cities, 30 of them. Uh, and, and great warriors, we know some of them were, were really tall. Say they were, I don't know, eight feet tall. Okay. Would it really matter if there weren't 30 fortified cities, instead there were 300? And the people weren't, uh, the warriors weren't eight feet tall, they were 80 feet tall? Would, would it really make a difference? If the Lord was with you. No? Let him be 80 feet tall. If you have the Lord, right, the one who made heaven and earth, every mountain, every planet, every galaxy, every atom, uh, the one who, uh, who just but speaks and the world leaps into being, the one who has committed himself to his very people and is present among them, if, if that God is with you, I mean, let him be 80 feet tall. Go for it. Does it really make a difference? I, I, I say that realizing that so often I forget that. Because our eyes do the human calculations. I can't handle 80 feet tall. Run. Yeah, I, I can't. You can't. But, but if the Lord's with us, what, what, what difference does it make? You remember how Paul puts it, if... If God is with us, who can be against us? Really, in that context, he's even thinking about powers and principalities, spiritual uh, play, uh, forces in the heavenly places. Like, if, if God's with us, right, who really can be against us in the sense that it would really make a difference and could defeat us? Uh, by focusing on the God who is with us, it, it, it puts the, the relative size of the enemies completely in, in perspective. Right? So the more uh, we focus on, on the Lord who's with us, uh, the more we see reality. All right? So it's not ignoring the strength of the enemy. It's just realizing uh, the strength of the one who is actually with his people. Of course, this is why part one was so very helpful and so very important uh, to realize uh, the gift of God being with us and why it is true. Right? We, we have God's presence with us. You have God's presence with you, believer. Not because you had a really good week. Uh, right? God's not going to continue to be with you this week ahead because you got enough spiritual brownie points this weekend. Right? That's not it. Right? It's all because of the work of Christ. That's, that's why God is with us. He is God with us. Right, Emmanuel? 
He's the one who bore the curse for your lack of faith. He's the one who, who, who died and rose again for you. Right? Because part of the, part of the trick is, uh, when, we, when we're faced with big enemies, when fear begins to mount up, we, we start to doubt. Yeah, okay, well, God doesn't feel like he's with me. I, 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 I didn't do so hot this week. So, okay, maybe God's with Moses and Joshua and Caleb, but he's not with me, because look at what I did, uh, or I don't feel it. And, and it's important to recognize uh, that God's promise to be with us is not based on our performance, nor is it based on our feelings. Uh, we don't earn it, uh, nor do we maintain it, uh, based on how well we did. Uh, and so we, 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 we take those promises of part one, the work of Christ, uh, and, and we bring it home to us. Remember what, what Jesus said to his, uh, to his disciples right before he was ascended, uh, he ascended into heaven. He's died and he's been raised up. Remember his final words to them as he sends them off? Uh, he says, surely I am with you. It's the end of the age. Remember who he's talking to? He's talking to the guys who have just kind of scattered at his moment of need. Uh, the, the, the including individuals who have denied him with curses and, and loud oaths. You know, these guys, right? Not spiritual superstars. People like us that look like a mess. And yeah, but he's just died for them. He's just been raised for their new life. And therefore, he's able to say, I'm with you to the end of the age. That's us. That's us. Uh, we can take it to heart. Even, even you, or even, even me, uh, and our eyes fixed on that, uh, it, 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 does, it, it puts the size of the enemies in perspective, doesn't it? Uh, we were singing these words a few minutes ago. They're true for God's people. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. We focus on that God, His presence with us. And we fight against uh, the fear that would tear us away uh, and have us rebelling against Him. So you fight fear with the focus on the presence of God. Uh, and then you fight self-glory with a focus on the glory of God. Find self-glory with a focus on the glory of God. And here we want to look in, we talked about Joshua and Caleb, and, and now let's look at Moses, and particularly his prayer uh, to the Lord, because it, it, has, a, it has a form that, that might, might surprise us, and taking to heart is, is quite, quite helpful. So here's Moses, he's pleading with God uh, to forgive the people for their rebellion. Uh, he's pleading with God to forgive them. It's good to remember uh, that, that uh, Moses isn't trying to talk God into doing something that God doesn't want to do. That's not how prayer works. Uh, we, don't, we don't pray because we're kind of trying to talk, convince God to do something that God really doesn't want to do. Um, it, God, in his sovereignty, plans, delights to work through the prayers of his people. He designs it that way. You can see it in this in this story because uh, how did Moses get into this position of intercessor, mediator, uh, leader, representing God's people? God told him to do it. Right? He's doing the very thing God told him to do. 
so, so this is exactly what God wanted. So it's not like God's you know, being talked into something. Moses is verbalizing exactly the thing, exactly the role God called him to do. Um, so why is, why is Moses' prayer so delightful to God? Uh, well, notice the focus on God's glory. The focus on God's glory. It comes out in, in his reasoning. So verse 12, uh, God is threatened. He's going to wipe out the entire nation and, and start over with Moses. To create a whole new nation. Wipe everybody else out. And notice how Moses responds in his prayer. Uh, he says, if you kill the whole nation, well, then the Egyptians are going to hear about it. And the Egyptians are going to tell all the other nations. And specifically, verse 16, they're, they're going to say, it's because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land that he swore to give them that he's killed them in the wilderness. Uh, essentially, Lord, if you if you wipe out all of Israel, all of your people, your name is going to be blasphemed among the nations. Uh, your, your, your glory you know, is, is, is going to be spit upon. They're going to say you're not exalted as mighty. Instead, uh, you're going to be proclaimed as, as weak. And Moses, therefore, prays for a, for a different path. He prays, verse 17, Now, please let the power of the Lord be great as you promised. And in other words, Lord, show forth your power exactly like you promised. Now, he even, he even then uh, talks about the, the character of God, the glorious character of God, using the very words that God gave him. Uh, verse 18, that the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, forgiving sin, at the same time, holy and, and judging sin. <laughs> then he brings it together, the, 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 the crux of his prayer, verse 19. Please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love. So you kind of put it together. You see how Moses is praying for them. Uh, he's, he's saying, Lord, save this people, forgive them, or rescue them, for the sake of your glory. Shine forth the greatness of, of your love, of your power, of your mercy, uh, by forgiving your people. What Moses' heart is doing here is, is resonating with the very heart of God. Uh, Moses' heart is resonating with the very purpose for the universe. Why is the universe here? Why did God make everything? He didn't need anything. He wasn't lonely. He wasn't lacking. He made everything because he delighted to shine forth his greatness, his glory. Why did God make us as people? Make us different than, than the rest of creation. Well, we're made in his image in order to reflect to shine forth his greatness, his power, his glory, his love. Why would God rescue a people that's rebelled against him again and again? Uh, the people who have not loved him, but instead have done the exact opposite. Why would, why would God rescue a people like that at great cost? Why would he send Jesus? Why would Jesus die? Again, for his glory. <coughs> to shine forth the greatness of his of his love, of 
this power. Uh, in, in fact, you see in Jesus really the, the embodiment of Moses' prayer. We've seen that throughout. You get these pictures and numbers. It's really pointing us to Jesus. And, of course, Moses' prayer points us to Jesus, not just in the intercession, but even in, in how Jesus embodies the heart of Moses' prayer. Uh, right? Moses' prayer is, God, shine forth your glory, your, your character as, as the God who is uh, steadfast in love, uh, abounding in mercy, slow to anger. And he also adds that God is the God of justice, right? He will by no means clear the guilty. He will visit iniquity on, 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 the, on the people. So how does that hold together? God, shine forth how forgiving and loving you are, but also judge sin. Well, that comes together in Jesus. Jesus embodies all of that. Uh, in that his work... Uh, in coming and dying on the cross, is, is, are those things brought together? Uh, shining forth uh, the, the mercy and love and rescuing power of God, and also at the very same time, the holiness uh, and, the, and the perfect justice of God as Jesus goes to the cross and bears the curse, and God's justice is done, and, and at the same time achieving his saving love. Right, God, through Christ, is both just and the justifier of the ungodly. In other words, Jesus in his very person is, is shining forth what Moses is praying for. God, glorify your name as the holy, righteous, loving, rescuing God. God shining forth his glory. It's the exact opposite of what our rebellion attempts to do. Right, our our, our rebellion against God, one way to describe it, is, is, is about self-glory, right? That, that when we sin, uh, essentially what it is, is our lives, our lives shouting forth, yeah, God, I don't really want it to be about your glory. I want it instead to be about my glory, about me, and my ways, and what I want, and my greatness. That's what I want things to shout and that's the, really the heart of what our, our sinful rebellion looks like. So then you start to see what it, would, what it would begin to look like if God changed us, if he began to have the work of Christ flow into our lives so that we're less and less rebelling and more and more walking in his ways. It's going to look like self-glory turns more into God's glory. That less and less, uh, it's our lives shouting forth, my glory. And more and more it looks like, Lord, be glorified in me. Uh, in our words, uh, in our actions, uh, echoing, resonating with Moses' prayer. Lord, glorify your name. In, in all the little details of, of, of life, Lord, I'm going, stepping foot into work. Lord, glorify your name and your power and your love in, in this day and all its difficulties. Uh, or, or here's this difficult, challenging relationship. Lord, uh, shine forth the greatness of your gentleness and mercy and care uh, in, in this relationship, in how I speak and how I respond. Right? It's, it's turning from exalting my glory uh, to more and more shining forth God's glory. Now, we can't do that apart from God's Spirit, but that's exactly what the Spirit, uh, the Spirit we have, the Spirit that's... That's in us. He's, he's remaking his people 
to really look like we were always created to be. Now, that's really what we're talking about, is, is God changing us into the people we were always created to be. I mean, that, that, whole, that whole idea of my glory, that, that just doesn't fit who you are and who I am. We were never meant to be or made to be little gods who jockey and fight one another for, for position, for glory, for greatness. We were never created to be like that, which, incidentally, is why it never works. You have noticed that, right? Uh, that, that, like, that living for my glory, me, my way, my greatness, that it always ends up in a mess sooner or later, right? You've noticed that. Uh, yeah, it, it doesn't work uh, because we weren't made for that. So God transforming us out of that through his spirit, making our lives more and more about shining forth the glory of God, that's you being changed into the real you into the you you're always created to be and made to be and intended to be. It's God remaking you only the better you, the real you. And that's exciting. Uh, and it's about the glory of God focusing on, on him. Now, it doesn't mean it's easy. Uh, in fact, God shining forth his glory in your life uh, typically takes you to some very hard places uh, for his glory. Um, I was reminded of a, a book I read about a year or so ago. Uh, it's Ed Welsh's great book on fear and worry. Uh, I can give you the, the information. Fabulous study, great meditations. One of his little chapters meditating uh, is on what he calls the, the God of the 11th hour. The God of the 11th hour. In other words, noticing this pattern that shows up in Scripture again and again, how often God chooses to wait, to to wait to bring rescue, to bring deliverance, to wait till that, that 11th hour when it seems like all hope is lost. That God apparently likes to do that because he does it a lot. Um, and think of, uh, think of the exodus from Egypt and God rescues his people from, from the armies of Pharaoh, uh, but he waits until Israel is right up against the Red Sea with nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. Um, or, or the example of Abraham and God bringing uh, the, the line of the Messiah through Abraham and Sarah, and yet he chooses to wait until Abraham and Sarah are long past childbearing age, and then waits even longer. Um, or, or God with the armies of Gideon. Remember, there's Gideon, Israel, going up and being attacked by this huge horde, uh, the Midianites. And, and God doesn't allow them uh, to win against their enemy until the army is whittled down to almost nothing. 300 people against a mighty horde. Uh, how often God waits to bring deliverance. Waits until there's, there's almost no hope. Or you could, you could even use this example, Numbers 13, 14. Um, why, is it, why is it that God didn't clear out the land? I mean, he could have done that, right? The Israelites could have, could have gone uh, to the border of the Promised Land, sent the spies in, and guess what we discovered? All those cities, are, they're empty. Right? The, the walls of Jericho have all already fallen down. We could just walk right in. God could have done that, right? Why didn't he? Why didn't he do it? Why, why, why does he seem to like to wait uh, until it seems like there's no hope? Well, we don't always know the purposes of God. We can't answer every question. But here's one huge part of it. For his glory. 
He's choosing to, to shine forth the greatness of his power and his love and his might. Uh, and, and often he does it uh, in such a way by, uh, by, by waiting until circumstances seem just hopeless from a human perspective. Uh, but, it, but it sets the stage for him to shine forth just how great, how powerful, how mighty, how glorious he is. In, in the process, of course, it makes us feel quite weak. Right? We, we read that from 2 Corinthians, didn't, didn't we? Uh, how Paul prays that, that this, this difficulty would leave him. And God says no. Why? He doesn't give all the reasons, but part of it is, for my grace is made perfect, my power is made perfect in weakness. God chooses not to rescue Paul. Because he's shining forth his power in the midst of Paul's weakness. Uh, so may, maybe maybe you're at a place where you're kind of at the border of something, or you're spying out the land in front of you, and, and there just looks like big enemies everywhere. And you could ask the question, why, why didn't God just clear this out ahead of time? He could have done that. Uh, and, and of course, ultimately, I don't know, you don't know the answer to that question. God doesn't explain why he does everything, and his purposes are so much bigger than we could ever wrap our minds around. But we can wrap our minds around this. Part of what God is doing, the, the, the thrust of, of what he's about in the world, in us and through us, uh, is not to shine forth how strong and mighty and great we are. It's to shine forth how great and mighty he is. That in the midst of weakness, he is the God who is present with his people and the God uh, who, who protects when all hope seems to be lost. Sometimes dramatically, sometimes quietly, just sustaining day by day, he shines forth his greatness, his power, his glory. Maybe we can kind of tie it all together with, with this, this application. I wonder if you'd be willing to do this. If you'd be willing to pray about one thing this week, just take one thing that you pray for every day. And, and you get to choose what it is. Maybe, maybe you specifically want to pray for that, that place in your life where you feel the weakest. Uh, that place in your life where it just seems like the enemies are really, really big. You know, 80 foot tall enemies. You want to pray about that. So pray for that thing every day. It can even just be for a minute, two minutes. Just try to go consistently. But, but pray specifically in this way, echoing the two points uh, that we looked at this morning. You're going to pray for that situation, that circumstance, with two ways. One, thanking the Lord that he's present with you. And two, praying that God would shine forth his glory in that place. So praying for that one thing, that great burden, but praying in this particular Numbers 14 way. Lord, thank you that you are with me, you promise, because of Christ. And Lord, I don't know how you're going to do it, but Lord, right here, shine forth the greatness of your name, the greatness of your power, the greatness of your mercy and your mind. Do it here. I think if we do that, we're, we're going we're gonna to find, well, probably two things. One, don't be surprised that if, in the process, you're not changed. That as your heart begins to 
even on purpose, echo the very purpose and heart of God, if, if, if you're not changed, quite apart from what circumstances do, don't be surprised if you're not changed. And also don't be surprised if God actually answers. Maybe it's answers big deliverance. Maybe it's answer in, in just that he gets you through another week. But this is the, this is the kinds of prayer that well, God delights in. It's what embodies the very person of Jesus, uh, as well as the prayer of Moses, right? Focusing on the power of the presence of God with us and God's purpose to shine forth his greatness and his glory. Well, let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you are the, the mighty, the glorious God. We thank you that in your love you have made a way for, to call us your very own, to, to dwell right with us as your, in, through your spirit as individuals and as a, as a body, as a, as a people of God. Uh, Lord, thank you that if you're with us, who truly can be against us? And we pray that in our lives, in all, in all the details, in all the hard places, in all the mundane places, Lord, that you would be glorified. You would shine forth the greatness of your power and glory and love and mercy and righteousness. Uh, Lord, that, the, that, that we would see, that the, the nations around would see how great you are. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.